But that night the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one who built, who, to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of setup? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since I appointed the leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. Now I'm moving to Mark chapter 4, verse 30 to 34. Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable. But when he was alone with his disciples, he explained everything. Thank you uh, for that, and good morning again, Happy New Year, uh, for those who are still catching up that it is a new year, uh, I think, uh, what is it, 351 days into Christmas or something like that, uh, I hope you're looking forward to it. Now, um, for most of the last century, Kodak was the dominant player in photo technology. Uh, Kodak film was used to make Hollywood movies for, that, for, for the century, 80 best picture films filmed on uh, Kodak film. The Queen's Coronation in 1953, filmed on Kodak film. Neil Armstrong took close-ups of the lunar surface on the Apollo 11 mission, the moon, uh, with Kodak film. In 1976, 85% of all cameras and 90% of the film that was in them was Kodak. In the year 2000, a single Kodak share was selling for about 100 Australian dollars. But in 2007, the iPhone launched, and that changed everything. Uh, by 2012, 
after 130 years of trading, Kodak was bankrupt. Moments earlier, you would have thought they would just go on forever, they'd, they'd grow forever, they'd dominate forever. But now they were worthless. And I tell that story because this last year, people have started to suggest that that's the future of God in Australia. He's had a great run. Even uh, a few decades ago, you'd imagine that the church was going to grow and grow, certainly at least stay and stay. But now the census reveals that, you know, church attendance, whatever that's worth, is in free fall, and it seems to be to many to be heading for 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 its own Kodak moment, but not but not in a good way. So, what awaits God in Australia? Uh, is he destined for irrelevance for, for the museum? You know, you're going to go down to the Channel Museum in the future uh, and learn about all the churches that used to be here. Uh, is God's work in Australia, Tasmania, here in Kingston? Is it in terminal decline? Is it time for Christians to take shelter to sh- to sell off the stock, so to speak? Well, in today's really very short passage in Mark four, Jesus makes it entirely clear that that is absolutely not what is going to happen. God's work here on earth, his work of of bringing people to his love and mercy and grace, that work will continue to grow just as it has done since the day Jesus first spoke these words 2,000 years ago. There is, in fact, no surer thing, according to Jesus, that God's kingdom will grow. That's what Jesus is going to tell us today, so let's pray before we uh, get on with it. Heavenly Father, we pray that we would hear the words of Jesus today, just a couple of sentences, and that we would believe them, and that believing them, in believing them, we would be profoundly changed in the way that we think, in the way that we act, and the way that we hope. And we pray that in your name. Amen. So the big idea today uh, is that Jesus encourages us that God's kingdom can't be stopped. God's going to gather a great multitude of people, just as he promised. Now, you you definitely need to have a Bible or a device open today. Um, We're going to be looking mainly at Mark and also back into 2 Samuel. Have a look with me at Mark chapter 4, verse 30, where Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom. Uh, And so we're going to be looking at Mark 40. Uh, verse 13 to start with it. And, and let me read, and I'll be reading from the NIV 2011. Again, he, that's Jesus, said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch in its shade. Now, in these verses, Jesus is describing what the, what the kingdom of God is like. You know, what's the nature of this kingdom? And in fact, much, much of chapter 4 is given over to Jesus giving clarity on what the kingdom of God is like. But he doesn't really ever explain what he means by the kingdom of God. If we're going to understand this short parable of Jesus, we really do need to have an, have an understanding of what Jesus had in mind when he used that phrase, kingdom of God. And if you speed read chapters 1 to 3 of Mark... You see that the only other man mentioned the kingdom of God before chapter 4 is back in Mark 1. Have a look with me there uh, at Mark 1 verse 14 where Mark describes the beginning of the work of Jesus uh, after Jesus' forerunner John the Baptist has been thrown into prison for his message. Mark 1 verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee 
proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. And so the message of Jesus is that the kingdom of God has come near. But Mark still doesn't explain what Jesus means by that. Chapter 4 says a little bit about what it's like, but Mark presumed that the original readers and listeners would know broadly what he was talking about when he used that phrase, the kingdom of God. And indeed the listeners of Jesus would have had something in mind. They they would have been looking forward to this kingdom, in fact, for for thousands of years. In Genesis 12, you know, we're 12 chapters into into the entirety of the Bible, God promises Abraham that he would make him into a great nation, that that he used that nation to bless the whole world, and he put that nation into his place. Now, a great nation in a place sounds like a kingdom, doesn't it? A kingdom through Abraham, but established by God, a kingdom through whom God blesses the world. It's God's kingdom made up of God's people. That's what God promises Abraham. And he then repeats that promise of of the kingdom, so to speak, in just a couple of chapters later, three chapters later in Genesis 15, just to make sure Abraham has got it. And then God repeats that promise to Abraham's grandson, Jacob, in a dream in Genesis 28. So listen to Genesis 28, verse 12. Jacob had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord, and he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you're lying. That's a, that's a place. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. They're going to be a blessed people. And you'll spread out to the west and the east, to the north and the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I'll bring you back to this land. I'll not leave you until I've done what I've promised. I'm going to give him his presence. A people, a place and a presence. That's what he's promising Abraham and his descendants. And so by... Chapter 28 of Genesis, it's well and truly established that this was something major that God was going to do. He was going to build a kingdom, a kingdom of God. He's going to establish his people in a place and give them his presence and all the nations of the world will be blessed through him. That's what this kingdom is going to be about. So Abraham's descendants, at least the ones who were paying attention, were clinging to these promises of God. They were looking for this kingdom. Who, when will this happen? When, when will the kingdom come? And so when 14 generations later, Israel's King David rises up to the throne, he defends the borders, he throws out the enemies, there's peace in the land for the first time. All that is missing, it seems, is a clear sign of God's presence with him. And so we land in in 2 Samuel 7, which is the first of our readings today, uh, where David's agitating that he should be the one to build the temple so that God's presence with them in the land will be established. The kingdom will be complete. They were a people, they were in a place, they were secure, they needed the presence of God. And then they would be God's kingdom. And so in 2 Samuel 7, when God speaks to David, it starts off that that's what's going to happen. And you can have a look at 2 Samuel 7 if you can turn there quickly, otherwise just listen in. 2 Samuel 7, and watch out for the people and the place here. Verse 8, now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. 
and I will provide a place for my people Israel and plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. So it sounds promising, doesn't it? People and place and security. But read on where God tells David that it's not going to be him who will see the kingdom established in full. Verse 11. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. So the kingdom hasn't come yet. It won't be David who establishes God's presence. No, it's going to be through David's offspring, through God's son, a king who's going to rule forever, it says. And that king will do something that David couldn't do. He's going to build a house for my name. A code for, for establishing God's presence with his people. This, this eternal king will rule over an eternal kingdom and create an environment where God will dwell with his people. He's going to create the kingdom of God. So those who listened carefully knew now that David wasn't the final word, that someone greater was coming. And so they watched and they waited for this son of God who would be king. And the rest of the Old Testament goes on to talk about what this kingdom is going to be like. And for a weary world, it says the most remarkable things. It's going to be a place where all the bad won't even be remembered or come to mind. But instead there will be just joy and rejoicing. Weeping and crying will be done away with. Death will die. Injustice will be no more. True justice will reign. Oppression will cease. People won't take away your possessions and bad luck won't strip them away either. Frustrations and disappointments will be banished. Conflicts will be ended. The wolf and the lamb, it says, will they'll lie down together. Race and colour will no longer be divided. They'll be united. People from all over the world are being drawn together into this great and glorious kingdom. And and all those drawn into the kingdom will have a restored re- relationship with their creator who loves them. This is the promise of the kingdom of God in the Old Testament. For a thousand years after David, the people of the promise, Abraham's children, are, they're a colony of Rome. They're hardly a great nation, barely holding on to their national identity. Their daily life is characterised by grief, and mourning and sickness and sorrow and frustration. It's characterised by oppression and injustice and poverty and conflict and uncertainty. Relationships were broken. Leadership was selfish. There was no sign of the nations being gathered. The wolf was busy eating the lamb. There was no kingdom, no king. Where is the kingdom the faithful perhaps were thinking? Pleading for the kingdom thousand or more years of maybe what felt like futile waiting. And so into that world steps Jesus with his remarkable message that the wait is over. And that's where Mark 1.14 picks up, really. Mark 1.14, you can flip back to Mark. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. 
He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. You see, his announcement is the kingdom of God has come near after a thousand or more years of, of countless frustration and suffering and pain and longing of scores of people. The kingdom of God, uh, looking for the kingdom of God. Jesus announces it's come near. The time has come, he says. Now, I've read this chapter many times and I, I think I always wondered why Jesus said, uh, he said to just proclaim the good news, but then he doesn't say what it is. Uh, he doesn't explain it here. But I hope you see now that actually what he's saying is that the kingdom of God is the good news. The good news isn't just that Jesus came to die in our place for our sins, that they would be forgiven. This is that central, of course, but the good news is more. The, the good news is that God's kingdom and the king and, and all that the kingdom represented, that's come near. That's the narrative of the Old Testament through to the New Testament. The kingdom is the good news with its king in charge. And to a world frustrated by grief and sorrow and fed up with conflict and war, a world that's just experienced another Christmas where families have argued and bickered and where one in 20 Australians are estranged from their family. A world where people die alone and lonely in nursing homes and sickness strips away the best days that we have. To that world, to our world, the kingdom is remarkably good news. To a world estranged from God, the God who created this all and loves us more deeply than we can imagine, the coming near of the kingdom of God, the coming near of his king, the coming near of God's son is remarkably good news. And so as we go into 2023 and reflect on, on the year that's gone and, and perhaps have seen clearer than ever, this world is just not enough, that it's not inching its way to perfection, that we don't learn from history and people continue to look after themselves rather than others. Racial groups despise one another, division marks society as much as ever. Cancer still kills. Our rulers continue to be flawed sometimes deeply flaws. It feels like we've lost our way, maybe. As we realise these things, we realise we need a better kingdom and a better king. And the arrival of King Jesus and his announcement of God's perfect kingdom is just wonderful news, indeed. A chance to submit to the king and become part of the kingdom. A different and better way of living. That's what Jesus is announcing, the beginning of that. It's good news. Good news, the kingdom of God is coming here. That's my first point. And my second point is what Jesus says about this kingdom. Uh, that God's kingdom will grow, and it will grow big. So what's this kingdom like, Jesus? That's the sort of question that would have been in the minds of the hearers of Jesus as he went from town to town and place to place, and declaring the kingdom of God is coming here. Is it really like the Old Testament talked of? Is the kingdom you speak of the same as the one that we've read about in the prophets? And here in verse 30 to 32, Jesus picks up on just one detail of the kingdom. And that detail is that the kingdom of God will start small, but it will grow big. Have a look at, again at Mark 4, verse 30. Again Jesus, again, Jesus said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or, or what parable shall we use to describe it? It's like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that birds can perch in the shade. Now, we shouldn't get lost in the detail here. 
about how small a mustard seed really is. You know, the agricultural scientists might get a little bit upset there, or how big a bush the mustard seed turns into. The birds perching in its shade are really only there to illustrate its main point, that the kingdom of God starts small but will grow big. It's a small seed becomes a very big plant. That's what Jesus is saying. And you don't need a long sermon to explain it. The kingdom of God is going to start small and grow big. That's the entire point that Jesus is making, so we can pack up and go home if you've understood that. The starting spot is obvious, isn't it? Uh, at the beginning, it was just Jesus proclaiming the kingdom of God. But through his proclaiming of its rival and his call to repent and believe that good news, that single voice was going to become a very large set of voices. Now, Jesus isn't saying anything new here. Thousands of years earlier, God had led Abraham out into the night sky told him to look up and to count the stars, so would his offspring be. And Abraham believed God. And here in this passage in Mark 4, Jesus is calling us to believe him. When he says the kingdom's going to be starting small, but growing very big, he wants us to believe that. And in some ways, that's not hard to believe, is it? Phil's already talked about it. You know, you just look at the total number of people who follow Jesus in the world today. Hundreds of millions, even if you forget about the people who just claim Jesus in name only but are not genuine believers. Hundreds of millions of genuine believers in Jesus. Even in China, what, maybe 75, 100 million people in that one country? Once a mustard seed, now a multitude of people of God. God intends his kingdom to grow, it's going to grow big. We shouldn't forget that. It will grow big. It won't be the size it is now. In the future, Jesus is overseeing a kingdom whose fundamental property is growth. It's not an optional extra to this kingdom. As much as it is a kingdom of love and grace and mercy and justice, it's a kingdom of growth. And Jesus says it will grow. But when you look around us here in Kingston, maybe it's harder to believe that. It's easy to believe our eyes than believe Jesus. But Jesus isn't telling us to believe our eyes here, is he? He's telling us to believe him, and he's telling us to believe him because this is what the kingdom of God will do. It will grow. It cannot not grow. It must grow. And Jesus knows that because, well, God promised it long ago, and God does not lie. But also he's seen long into the future. Remember, Jesus came from eternity into this world, and from the position of eternity, he knows how it ends. He knows the final pages. We see that in Revelation 7. Jesus laying out the realities of the future. Listen to Revelation 7 about Jesus showing us about kingdom growth. This is John the Apostle talking. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe and people and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. A multitude where they, did you hear that? They're gathered before the throne and, and, and the Lamb, which is really code for Jesus. The kingdom of God, the king of, of this kingdom is on his throne and the subjects of the king are gathered around from all over the world. There's a multitude of people there. That's how it ends. It started with, with Abraham in the first pages of the Bible and then we have in Revelation at the last pages of the Bible, we have the same thing. The kingdom growing to a multitude. And here in Mark 4, Jesus is just really reminding us of that reality. 
God's kingdom will grow. It will grow big. Whatever we see with our eyes, whatever short-term blips occur, it will grow. It's always tempting, isn't it, to focus on the short-term. We, we see the peaks and troughs of the, the property market, maybe, but forget its rise decade after decade. We, we see the weather, but not, not the long-term climate warming. A tree in our garden looked like it wasn't growing for a few years, but now it's a massive tree that birds rest in it. And the consequence of what Jesus is saying in Mark 4 is that we shouldn't look at the short term and feel like maybe the kingdom is shrinking. He says, no, look at the long term. Have confidence in the king to grow his kingdom. See the growth over 2,000 years. See that arc from Abraham to Revelation, from the first to the last, and see that this kingdom will grow because the king is going to grow it. He will bring it about. In 1929, astronomer Edwin Hubble uh, was using what was in the world's largest telescope in California, uh, the Mount Wilson Observatory, and he observed something that would change our understanding of the universe. He observed that while certain objects that were relatively near to Earth were moving away from Earth at a certain speed, other objects that were further away were moving away even faster. His results were splashed across the New York Times, uh, proclaiming his conclusion that the universe was expanding in all directions. That is, the universe grows and continues to grow. It never stops growing. And that's the sense that Jesus wants us to get here. The kingdom is growing and it's an unrelenting force of growth under his authority and it will grow. No one can stop it growing any more than you or I can stop the universe growing. And Jesus wants us to believe him when he says that. And presumably, having believed, he wants us to act in accord with that truth. You'd expect that with me, wouldn't you? Here in Kingston and church and after church around the globe, Jesus wants his church on a growth footing. He doesn't want us surprised by growth. He wants us to be planning for growth, working towards growth, praying for growth of his kingdom. And so if you ever see the leaders of this church, can I say, taking their eyes off that, or assuming that we just need to to look after those already here, uh, or talking about growth as being unlikely or impossible, or it's just pointless to share the good news, if you ever get a sniff of that, then please kindly clip them around the ears and hand them up for it. And if you sense that same thinking in yourself, that we just need to look after the people here, that growth is unlikely, that the gospel doesn't work, well, can you feel the rebuke and correction of Jesus this morning? He says, my kingdom will grow, my church will overcome, it will grow, believe me, it will grow. Indeed, that's why this very church was started, wasn't it? Because of the belief that the kingdom will grow. And that church planning is an effective means to help. That's my second point. And my final point is perhaps the best news of all, that there's room for you in this kingdom. You see that desire of Jesus in Mark 1. Let's read it again. Mark 1.14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so Jesus wants people to hear this message. You see that, don't you, in verse 14? He's proclaiming it. It's not a secret. 
It's for everyone. And Jesus is proclaiming this good news because he wants people to believe it. You see that in verse 15. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus wants people to understand just how good the kingdom of God is. And then having seen it, that it's coming near to rejoice and to believe it. Maybe they wouldn't believe it at first, but he wants them to believe it nonetheless. He wants us to believe that, that Jesus has announced the beginning of the end of injustice and despair and sorrow and sickness and mourning, the beginning of the end of anxiety and depression, the beginning of the end of frailties of our bodies, of cancers and dementia and of chronic illness, the beginning of the end of broken relationships and family division, the beginning of the end of oppression and inequity, the beginning of the end of poverty and famine and war, the beginning of the end of hopelessness and despair, the beginning of the end of greed and lust and hatred and disharmony and slander and selfishness, the beginning of the end of those things in others and the beginning of the end of those things in us. Not ended yet, but will when the king returns and his kingdom comes in forward. We will see the end. And Jesus announces the beginning of the end. This is the good news of the kingdom coming near. The beginning of everything wrong and broken with this world and replacing it with the beginning of the full revelation of the perfect and unfailing love of God, a love unlike we'll find elsewhere. A love that redefines love, the beginning of his kingdom, the coming of the king. It's a massive claim, and it might be too massive for you right now, but it's massive enough to look into. Jesus is no fool, and no one thinks he is. But what he's saying here is either the most outrageously cruel foxhole, or the most incredibly good news. It's certainly outrageous enough to look into more. But to those ready to hear Jesus, Jesus says, repent and believe this good news. Turn around and believe. Come away from yourself and come to God and his kingdom. You're not going to get a better offer, he says, in 2023 or beyond. Hear the news. Let it grab your attention and your heart and your focus. Turn away from the direction that you're going in. That's what repent and believe, the good news. Come back from that. Turn away from your own kingdom or your, or your flawed kingdoms we make in this world. And turn to the only king that can truly deliver that's Jesus. That's the message of Jesus. And so why not set a part time in 2023 to look more into this kingdom and its King Jesus? Why not, if it is good news and you have believed that, why not invite someone to look into this, this year of King Jesus, of the kingdom that changes everything? There is an urgency here, brothers and sisters, isn't there? King Jesus will return, the beginning of the end will be replaced by the end. The kingdom will come in its full, and you'll be either in the kingdom or cast out of the kingdom forever. And if you're a follower of Jesus already, I wonder if you've fully grasped the good news. I think it's really possible not to. Maybe it's limited to Jesus forgave my sins and now I'm just waiting to go to heaven. If so, Jesus would say that you seriously shortchanged yourself in understanding the good news. You see, the kingdom is the good news. The king's coming is the good news. All that comes with it is the good news. The king is the good news. That, of course, includes your sins forgiven, but it's so much more than that. In 2023, why don't we expand our view of what the good news is? 
Let's give up on the good life in our own pathetic little kingdoms. Let's pursue an almost unimaginable life in the kingdom of God, with Jesus as King. As we finish, let's hear together Jesus and believe him that God's kingdom will grow. That's the promise of Jesus. It can't be stopped, in fact. God is going to gather a great multitude just as he promised. And so let's believe Jesus in 2023. And if we believe, let's act, let's repent, let's believe, living to see God's kingdom. Let's pray. Revelation 7 goes on with John asking, who is this multitude of people that God has gathered in his kingdom? Listen to this most glorious answer before we pray. The angel said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation, have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd, who will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is our God, and this is his kingdom. Heavenly Father, we give you praise that you are in the process of doing the most amazing of things. that you are preparing a time when every tear and every bit of brokenness and every bit of sorrow will be done away with. Every disjoint between our relationship with us, between us and you, will be done away with. Father, we pray that we would uh, believe Jesus when he says, my kingdom will grow and it will grow big. And we pray that we would act accordingly this year. We pray that in your name.